Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much to everybody who listened to last week's episode. Once again, it was so great seeing all of the downloads and views. For sure. And don't forget, you can check us out at cisforcreepy.com. There's a contact page on the website. So if you want to submit a story for nocturnal novellas that come out on the last Friday of each month, you can do so there. Or you can also send us um, ideas of what you would like us to cover. Oh, we yeah. would be happy if you send those in. Just make sure you let us know like who it's for, if it's for Elise or myself. Yep. Yeah, we love ideas. They're so fun, especially like getting, we want to give you what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. So what is your you? So this week for you, I am going to be covering unexplained disappearances. I'm so ready for this. I bet, because you requested this one. (laughs) I know. I requested it months ago. You did. I'm glad we're finally here. (laughs) You know, time's flown, though. I know. (laughs) I know. It's been what? We're at how many weeks now? Well, it's you, so... (laughs) Holy shit. 21? Close enough. I'm going to go with, I think I put 20 for T. Okay, you're doing the math. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 16 no it's gotta be more than 16 a b c d e f g h i j k l m n o p q r s t u v 22 okay 21 that, that makes more sense <laughs> i'm like 16 <laughs> we passed 16 a while that's okay it's been, it's been a long, long week, week. <laughs> That's fine. We don't do math here. We've established that. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> Even when we're counting on our fingers, sometimes we miss. It's okay. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I, I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> I'm leaving it up. It's funny. And my case is sad. <laughs> so we're getting laughters where we can. Okay, hit me with it. Okay, so in Canada each year, according to missingpersoninformation.ca, police record over 100,000 missing persons cases. Holy shit. The vast majority of the time, the missing person is found either by police or because the person just returned home. So that's counting like runaways and yeah or people that just you know maybe they stayed out late tonight and their spouses were concerned but you never know yep that's all of the multitudes of reasons okay okay and speaking of reasons there's a number of reasons why a person might go missing crazy people stalking them possibly these include deliberate disappearances As in, the missing person voluntarily leaves their situation, Mm -hmm. most likely due to problems they were experiencing, and therefore choosing to escape. Fair. So, be that like financial, relationship breakdowns, like you said, crazy people stalking them, you never know. Either way, they made the choice to leave their lives. Mm -hmm. As well, there is adventure accidents. Where people set out to do something daring, such as boating, hiking, or diving, and they are never heard from again. Going hiking in the middle of the BC mountains and, you know. Yeah. All the plenty serial killers that probably roam those mountainsides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, yeah, boating and there's a big storm and... They... Or even, like, skiing. Yeah. Yeah. Or you decide to go to the Alaska Triangle to test your camping camping equipment. Absolutely not, but sure. (laughs) I choose life. (laughs) Another reason for a person's disappearance, like, it can be super unintentional. So in these cases, it could be, like, a person with dementia or other mental issues Mm -hmm. Um, they might simply just get lost. 
Yep. And are unable to find their way home or unable to remember the phone numbers. Mm-hmm. Right? So they can't even call for help. So those ones break my heart. Um, yeah. They, they just get me right in the feels. <sighs> there are also, so like, in this category of disappearances, that includes like drifters. So like transient people live a very transient lifestyle mm-hmm. and oftentimes they lose contact with their family who could report them missing. Yep. But foul play is a nefarious reason for a disappearance. Serial killers in the woods. <laughs> so yes, this does include disappearances related to any suspicious circumstances such as possible abductions, homicide, or tra- human trafficking, just to name a few. There's a multitude of reasons why someone could go missing. Mm -hmm. Now that we have clear reasons why someone might disappear, let's discuss the unknown circumstances. So this cause of disappearance has no clear reason why someone might have gone missing, and the explanation is not known until the missing person is found. Mm -hmm. But what if the person is never found? Yeah. Once a person is reported as missing, in most cases, the police handle the search for that person, with the exception of Coast Guard for those lost at sea. Widespread media coverage can inform the public about the missing person and hopefully garner sightings or tips as to where the person might be. Sometimes these campaigns are successful. However, there are still many cases where people disappear and are never seen from again. Oh, shit. So those are my fun facts. Pretty sad fun facts, but okay. I I mean, fun is subjective. They're frumpy facts. They're facts. (laughs) They they are facts, all right. Okay. So who are we talking about today? So that does bring us to our case. Um, Courtney actually requested this case, so I hope I do it justice. Um, I'll be listening. Oh, no. No pressure. (laughs) None. So I am covering the case of Ryan Shudka. Shudka. What was I listening to? I was listening to the Vanish podcast, and like she had such a way of saying his last name. I'm just like, like Shudka. Yeah, Shudka. Mm-hmm. Okay. I call him pretty much Ryan the entire time. So fair. <laughs> So, Ryan is a 20-year-old man who disappeared in 2018. So, I would like to shout out the Vanish podcast who covered this um, case as an episode. And it was, they did an amazing job. So, lots of great information. They had interviews with Ryan's mother. So, it was... Heartbreaking. It, it was. It really hit close to home hearing this woman's experience about losing her son mm-hmm. and never finding him or never getting those answers. Yeah. Because, like, obviously, this is an unexplained disappearance. If you want an ending, this is not going to have, like, a... Com- an ending. A complete ending. Yeah, there's no end to the story. Yeah. It's still ongoing. There's also a 20-minute documentary on youtube called peaks and valley the search for ryan shuka and i watched it it was well done it had it was mostly i think to get the word out there about ryan it wasn't particularly um in depth but it was like really good at showing what efforts have been done mm-hmm. the description of ryan where he was what he was doing so okay well done if you got 20 minutes i recommend watching it okay So Ryan was from Beaumont, Alberta, a city south of Edmonton. He was born March 17, 1997, to his parents, Scott and Heather Shuka. Ryan graduated from high school when he was 18 years old. Growing up, he was described as a happy guy, full of smiles, and he lit up a room like he was a social butterfly. Mm -hmm. After graduation in 2015, Ryan made the decision to take a year off of school. And he worked at his father's business for about a year. And, like, he enjoyed doing it, but, I mean, he is 19. So, when that year ended, he kind of wanted to, you know, try something else. So, he enrolled in university. Okay. And he completed a year towards a general science degree. 
After a year of attending university, Ryan was still unsure if he wanted to complete this degree. He was concerned about the job market, as we all are. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know what? Like, school can wait. I'm young. I want a year of adventure. So it was actually on his 20th birthday that he went to his mom and was like, I kind of want to work at a ski resort for the season. Yeah. And he's 20. I mean. Who cares? You're young. Live Give your her. life. Like, yeah. it, if you're going to do something adventurous, this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. It's the time to explore, to go away from home and, you know, start learning about who you are as a person away from your parents in a new environment. Getting mm-hmm. that independence. Yeah, totally. It's like, that's a great milestone. So his parents were fully supportive and him and his friend... Him and his friend James, they applied together to work at Sun Peak for the season, and they were both accepted. Awesome. Okay. Yes. So both men were hired on. Um, James left first, uh, leaving for the remote resort on November 1st, and Ryan joined him a month later, leaving his family on December 1st, 2017. It's my birthday. December 1st. <laughs> didn't even click. I didn't think it would. That's, I, I'm a birthday queen, so I gotta mention it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So to preface, Sun Peaks is about a nine and a half hour drive, or it's a little over 800 kilometers away from his hometown of Beaumont. Where is it? So it is... Located 56 kilometers northeast of Canloops. Okay. And the only way to gain access to the resort is to drive in. Like, there's no trains or buses that go directly there. Um, I actually checked the Sun Peaks website, and they do offer shuttles from, like, the airport or from train stations, but it's about a 45-minute drive mm-hmm. either way. So you've got to get there by car. Okay. So to say that it is remote is an understatement. Mm-hmm. You've got to, there's like a turnoff from the highway and you pass through like a very small village area that has a convenience store and then you dry, have to drive up a steady incline up winding roads. You pass through another small village that has no amenities mm-hmm. and then further on is when you finally reach Sun Peak at the summit, like near the top. And it's comprised of three mountains. It's a very large ski and snowboarding resort. It's the second largest in Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's mountainous, alpine. The average snowfall for the year is about 5.6 meters or 18 feet of snow. Shit. (laughs) Like I said, remote People that go there enjoy the peace, they enjoy the scenic weather, they want to go and be at one with nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong, I would love to, but I do not enjoy 18 feet of snow. Nor do I enjoy winter sports. Not even a little bit. No. No, not even a Heard little bit. Pass. Yeah. I enjoy a temperate fall day. <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Not too hot, not too cold. No, like <laughs> October 5th. Mm, even like September 30th is okay. <laughs> <laughs> right in there. That's a sweet spot. Right? Between the 30th and the 5th is the only time I'm happy. <laughs> when I need a light jacket. Yeah. <laughs> and a warm coffee. Yes. <laughs> a chai tea latte. Right? Anything else, just no thanks. Hard pass. <laughs> Once in the snowy landscape, Ryan and James were roommates. They shared a tiny room with a bunk bed. That was a twin bunk bed. These are like grown-ass men. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, And they shared this house with four other people. So there was a couple that shared a room, and then there was two girls that shared a loft space in Mm -hmm. the house. And can you guess how much they paid for this room to rent? A thousand bucks a month. Close. They paid $450 each. Holy shit. To rent this twin bunk bed. Wow. 
You have to be really committed to your job. I don't know about committed, but they definitely were not there for the money. They were being paid eleven forty seven, which was minimum wage in BC at the time. So they were there for adventure. They were yeah. not there to build their savings. No, absolutely not. <laughs> So yeah, they were there for the adventure and the memories that could only come from an experience like this. Mm-hmm. Working this season meant that Ryan would be returning home April 16th, so he had to make the most of his time there. He snowboarded for 36 days straight. When nice. he wasn't working, he hung out with his roommates, friends, or other people who are working at the resort. Okay. So this consisted of going out to bars or other people's houses for parties um, or just hanging out at in his room, like playing PlayStation, just just vibing. Doing what young adults do. Exactly, just typical. Um, he wasn't known to really like seclude himself either. He was usually found with a group of people. And then there's you and I. Yeah. We would be alone together in the room, just being like, "Ooh, yeah, you seem a little too peoply." Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my battery's drained. We're just sitting here. Mm, that's enough. Yeah, right? I'm peopled out today. Thank you. <laughs> so Ryan did end up missing Christmas with his family due to the conflicting work schedule, but he would be home in April. So, like, what's one Christmas? Yeah, once in a lifetime thing. Right. So this brings us to February 16th, 2018. Ryan worked a day at the resort, and afterwards, he went out with his friends to a silent disco hosted by a local pub. What is a silent disco? So that is where everyone receives headphones to listen to the music, and like they dance and vibe and drink and all that fun stuff, but the area around, like, er the music's all playing through headphones, so it's quiet. Oh, wow. The space is quiet. It's just That'd be really cool. Uh, yeah, I would love that because I don't want to hear other people's loud music or yeah. like the like clubs and everything where you feel it pulsing through you. Yeah. You could just be like, listen in. Yeah. <laughs> Living your best life. Yep. Okay. <laughs> After, like later in the night, they decided that, you know, they were kind of done with this, but they wanted to keep the party going. So they ended up going to someone they know's house to like keep the party going. Mm-hmm which, awesome. Live your best life. Um, there was about nine people at this party, so that was his roommates and some other people that worked at the Hill and Ryan as well. Although no one could verify exactly how much Ryan had drank that night, no one in the group of nine believed he was outlandishly intoxicated. It was reported by his roommates that he was social and typically was, like like I said, he was hanging out with others. So he was having top fun, talking with the people in the group. Mm-hmm. Around 1.30 a.m., February 17th, one of Ryan's roommates got up to leave. The party was winding down and this person was tired. Moments later, another one of Ryan's roommates decided to call it a night and went to leave. The second roommate noticed Ryan get up and put his shoes and his jacket on. With the belief that Ryan was following behind them, the roommate left. Mm-hmm. Ryan was scheduled to work on the hill on February 17th, but he didn't show up for his shift. And this was not like him. Okay. He had never missed a shift. Yeah. So when his roommates discovered he had no-showed and they checked and he wasn't at home either... They thought, well, maybe he went home with another girl or maybe he crashed on somebody's couch and was just, like, sleeping off a hangover. Mm-hmm. So they called around and they tried to get in touch with people from the night before to see if they, anybody had seen Ryan, and no one had. Mm-hmm. So they decided, well, let's call the hospital. Maybe he hurt himself and ended up there. Mm-hmm. No sign of Ryan. Oh, shit. So they made the decision at that point, and it was later in the evening at about 8.30 that they made the decision to call the RCMP. Oh, so they waited like an entire day. So by the time he would have gotten off his shift at the hill, like nobody found out until like he 
until the end of that work day. Yeah. So they were all working. They were all busy. So nobody found out until that time. And they did their due diligence. Like, you don't want to call in a false report. So they called their friends. They called the hospital. Okay, so it wasn't like they just waited for a day. It was no, like... No, 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 no. Okay. No. So it, it's understandable the, that amount of time could have passed. And let's not forget, though, it's February in British Columbia in the mountains. The average temperature that at that time was about minus 20 mm-hmm. degrees Celsius. Yeah. So those are critical conditions to be out overnight. Yep. So, time was of the essence. Mm-hmm. James decided that at that point when it, they contacted the RCMP that they should also call Heather or send Heather a text and let her know what's going on. Heather, his mom? Heather, his mom, yeah. Okay. Which, yeah, definitely. Do you imagine trying finding that out from someone else? Yeah, no. So, in the interview, Heather was like, I could not understand the text that James had sent me. Like, I did not comprehend in my brain that my son did not come home and that they do not know where he was. So they called James to try and get more information and... He had done. No. No. So they made the decision then to call the RCMP and hopefully they could get some more information. But like I said, they didn't... The group of kids didn't call the RCMP until 8.30 at night and the nearest detachment was 45 minutes away in Kamloops. So they were still on their way to um, Sun Peak. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. So the RCMP brought dogs out with them, and they were starting the search that night, but there wasn't a lot more information No. at that point. So Heather and Scott made the decision to drive to Sun Peaks from Beaumont, just in case. Like, it, they wanted to be on the scene when their son was found. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have, like, goosebumps. As they were driving, they could see a snowplow going, and the snow was high. It was between 8 to 14 feet tall. Mm-hmm. So, like, Heather had thought, like, oh, my God, like, if Ryan's... Under here. Yeah. What are we going to do? Maybe... She was talking a lot about bargaining at that time. Like, if only I could see my son again, I would change everything. You know, Mm -hmm. like, just the guilt, I think, that comes with that. Yep. So, yeah, it was first believed that, like, Ryan had maybe just passed out and was buried in snow. And he would be found eventually, especially with the dogs out there looking. Yeah. That was the original hope. The morning of the 18th, when Ryan's parents arrived to Sun Peaks, The police were back searching again with their dogs. The entire day was spent searching by police with it finally coming to a rat end around 7 p.m. or so that day. The anxious parents waited for news and finally at the end of the day, a constable arrived to inform them that their son was not found and they did not have the resources to continue searching. Oh my God. So like... She was in denial, like, do you expect us to go home? Do Like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to keep searching for my son. So they went back the next day on the... 19th? 19th. And yeah, the little, like, makeshift command center, nobody was there. The police, there was no search and rescue. They did not have the resources. Oh, shit. So Heather and Scott were like, okay, well, we're looking for our son. We're not leaving here without him. Oh, no. So they had to rent the equipment because there was so much snow. They needed snowshoes. They needed snow pants. They needed proper gear. Mm-hmm. And so they got all of that, and they started searching. They looked around where it was reported that Ryan was last seen and the possible trails on the way Back to his house where he was staying. Mm-hmm. And there was only, like, three plausible routes that he could have gone. And, like, one of them was a creek that was the most unlikely because of how much snow was in there. Like, it would have been. But you also would have seen if somebody broke through the creek. Yeah, that's another thing, too, because there was snow, but it wasn't enough snow to cover tracks. Yeah. 
So how, like, he should have been found. Like, there should have been, like, some tracks that the dogs could have caught a scent on or visible tracks. There was also, like, no sign of blood anywhere. There was no, like, nothing. nothing. It was like he just vanished. So Ryan's parents were left to search for themselves. They searched the following week, albeit not very well. In order to cover ground efficiently in a search and rescue scenario, rescuers used different tactics, including using grid pattern searches, they map, they usually start in the localized area and then spread out strategically. Heather and Scott did not have the experience to search proficiently, and they were not given the guidance on how to do it. And like, most of the explanation for that was even though they requested for could a volunteer from search and rescue give us pointers like we need guidance on how to do this and nobody was willing to give them that most likely due to like liability issues Hmm. because if they search and then also go missing or hurt themselves they didn't want to take the blame for that so it's understandable but they should have like There could have been more done. Yeah, definitely. The following week after Ryan's disappearance, search and rescue did come back again and continued to look, but nothing turned up. I'm sorry, a week? A week. Oh my god, okay. Yeah, because he had gone missing the Saturday, and it was the following Saturday that search and rescue came again. Jesus. And I actually looked it up on British Columbia's search and rescue association website and their volunteers received like almost a hundred hours of on-ground training to perform search and rescues just like to give you an idea of how much is involved Mm -hmm. with an actual like search and rescue operation yeah like it's not something that you don't just go and run into the bush and hope for the best no you don't just like well my son was wearing blue so i'll look for blue like they've got probes they've got thermal cameras they've got so many things they've got like specific rescue tactics so if he had fallen into a crevasse that way somebody could have pulled him out with ropes yeah so they were trying their best they were just desperately looking for their son Mm -hmm. as i think any parent would a hundred percent a hundred percent so ali did come forward within the first couple days Um, It was a witness who was driving home after finishing their shift at a bar, and they came forward saying that they saw someone matching Ryan's description at about 1.55 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So the area where the person matching Ryan's description was seen was searched, but nothing came up from that. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I keep saying like nothing was found for a reason. Ryan's friends, family, police, volunteers from all over British Columbia and Alberta searched the hotspot, which was the party house, and the surrounding area of Sun Peaks every day for five months. Holy shit. They found no footprints, clothing, blood, or any sign of Ryan Shuka. Jesus. Ryan's families became experts in different searching techniques. Mm Mm-hmm. They started using probes, grid maps, metal detectors, drones with infrared. They got excavators to get all the snow out, helicopters, and more. Wow. And you would think, well, maybe in the spring and summer when all the snow is melted, maybe something would come out. They were saying that there was about a two-week window because of the amount of overgrowth that comes in that area that the snow would have been gone and the overgrowth wouldn't overtake paths. Mm -hmm. So it was that time that would have been that they would have the best shot of looking for him. So it's possible that they weren't even looking in the right areas at those times. Mm -hmm. Because like two weeks is nothing. You know what I mean? Like it flashes by. Yep. They have made posters with Ryan's face and description plastered throughout trails and in towns and billboards. Everyone who knew Ryan was interviewed, and police were confident that none of the people questioned were suspects. 
surveillance cameras have been checked, and it is a pity because there is one camera pointed at the only road that's accessible, like that you can gain access to mm-hmm. Sun Peaks. But the night of the disappearance, it was not functional. Shit. So, like, it's just one thing after another. <laughs> His poor parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been no activity on his social media, his bank accounts, and like they tried to locate his phone because he had an Apple phone. So there's the find my phone option on there. Mm-hmm. And I think it had to do with the private, like they could not gain access to his account to use that function. Oh. Because like I, he hadn't fully set it up and it's just, they tried, but it did not work. Shit. So let's get to some theories. Yes, please. Because <laughs> I have so many theories. <laughs> well, let's see if I cover any of them. The most common theory is that Ryan may have had too much to drink that night and simply fell into a crevasse or just passed out and was covered under a blanket of snow. And this is the most common theory. It's got different variations where he might have had a drug overdose and been buried or fallen or fallen and injured himself or drank too much and injured himself but there would be a sign like you, you, you would, would still find a body you would hope you would hope that you would like it or a cell phone or a shoe or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. i absolutely do not believe that story there is also the theory that he could have taken a wrong turn and gotten lost in the woods somewhere because like you get it's a huge area that's mm-hmm. very heavily wooded. So it, it's a positive. But at this point, you would think that something would have turned up. Mm-hmm. There was a criminal investigation done, but there was no leads. So foul play has been like kind of ruled out. It like, like I said, everybody was interviewed and they could not find. How many people live in this town? I'm not too sure. It's not a big town, and like I said, there's a lot of um, people living there for the season and then moving back home. Mm-hmm. So there's a possibility that maybe somebody might have done something and moved. That yeah. can't be ruled out. It's definitely a possibility. Despite this, many people believe that it, there could have been an altercation at the party and Ryan was murdered during it, and the people who attended this party hit the body and never told anyone. So that is definitely a theory that's out there. Another theory is that Ryan could have been hit by a drunk driver while walking home, and that person might have taken his body to hide the evidence. That would explain why. But there was no blood. You cannot tell me that getting blood out of snow would be an easy feat. No, most likely not. Although, like, if... Because, like, blood's hot, so it melts through the snow. So, like, if there was a blanket on top. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, like I said, that's just one of the many theories. Theories range from improbable, such as alien abductions or animal attacks, to sinister theories, such as him being picked up by a serial killer. Without any evidence and no leads to move on from their search, so they don't have anywhere else to look, anywhere substantial to look. So they keep searching the Sun Peaks area, hoping that they find something. All the Shukas can do is hope that someone knows something and will come forward so that they can know what happened to their son. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Shuka was 20 years old when he disappeared. He has blonde hair. And, and brown eyes. He was six feet tall and weighed approximately 180 pounds. He was last seen wearing dark jeans, a gray and white shirt, a blue coat, and a burgundy ball cap. For any information regarding Ryan's disappearance, please call either the Kamloops RCMP at 1-250-828-3033. Or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. And his family has a website set up um, where you can 
donate to their searches. Yeah, because, like, there's a lot that goes into these searches, whether it's accommodations. And, like, I should also mention that Heather on the Vanish podcast had said that the people of Sun Peaks were so accommodating that they were, like, they had every reason to start getting cranky, but, like, you want to look in my backyard? Go. Like, please look. Like, Mm -hmm. I know you've been here, but look again. Yeah. So... It's they had one. every reason to be upset about it, but they mm-hmm. never did. Well, especially be- because, like, this is a town where people go to get away from people and just... She's bringing the media. Bringing the media, bringing hundreds of volunteers from all over the province, mm-hmm. from all over Canada to help search. So it's really wonderful to hear that the people are so accommodating and helpful and trying to help this family. So. Mm-hmm. That is the story of Ryan Shuka. Was there a theory about him just running away? That never actually came up. Like, not substantially, just because, like I said, he was a social butterfly. So unless there was something deep that he hid from everybody else around him. like Nobody would have thought that he just up took and left. off. Yeah, that wasn't, like, his parents are fairly adamant that that wouldn't have happened so is it possible of course but at this point anything is possible i think it's wild that like they haven't even found a body nothing not even like body parts or a shred of clothing like anything he was wearing a ball cap (laughs) yeah that's that's fucking insane that's why also i don't believe that he just passed out in the snow because mm-hmm. once again like there would be evidence mm-hmm. after what almost five years yeah. something like this case just like makes me so uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it's how how does somebody leave a party and just fall off the face of the earth right like These people, like, his friends had left moments before he was supposed to have left. Mm -hmm. So, nobody saw anything. Yeah, what happened in that 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. I 100% believe that somebody knows where he is. Mm -hmm. Whether they choose to come forward or not. That's the... That's the issue. Yeah. But I... Especially somebody who is working on the mountain. Mm -hmm. I would hope they are taught mountain safety you would hope you would really i've i've never worked for a ski resort so i don't know but you would think that they would know you don't walk on a frozen creek you don't yeah um i hope you enjoyed it you did and i actually like i learned something new about it so really that's that is what my goal was because i figured you had looked into the case so thank you so much for that story well, I'm glad you liked it. Like I said, you requested it, so. It was no, great. We get to be sad because of you now. <laughs> I feel like it was my time. It was my you time know, to shine. That is true. Yes. <laughs> so, for my you, we are also doing your request. Yay! Of UFOs. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So, today we'll be discussing the UFO sightings from Hopkinsville and a small hamlet called Kelly. The two towns are eight miles apart from each other, and the story we are covering today rides, resides between the two of them. Cool. I don't think I've ever heard of this one. It's huge, but I also haven't heard of it. Okay. I feel like some of the podcasts we listened to might have covered it. Probably. I just don't remember. It. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, on the night of August 21st, 1955, when a large farm family, the Suttons, arrived breathlessly... At the Hopkinsville Police Station in southwestern Kentucky, claiming a terrifying siege by otherworldly beings would become one of the most detailed and mysterious accounts of an alien close encounter on record. Yes. Are you here for it? I'm so here for it. Notable for the considerable number of witnesses, the duration of the encounter, and the close proximity between the witnesses and creatures. The incident quickly became national news. Yes, I can imagine so. Could you imagine, like, being under siege in your own home? No. And then from otherworldly beings? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. 
That's amazing. I feel like at the time it wasn't for them. I mean, well, no. But, like, I'm sure it was a great story later on. They look back on it fondly. I love you. (laughs) I don't know if I'd ever recover from that, but... The alleged encounter occurred on the Sutton's family farm in the rural hamlet of Kelly, Kentucky, where the family lived in an unpainted three-room house without running water or a telephone. Nope. We're just setting the mood, okay? Uh, Yep. Of all the details in their story, the UFO landing and the appearance of small alien creatures, one fact is indisputable. When the eight adults and three children arrived at the nearby Hopkinsville police station at about 11 p.m., they were genuinely terror-struck. I bet. Right? These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help, Police Chief Russell Greenwell later told investigators. What they do is they reach for their guns. I was just thinking, like, we're in rural Kentucky. Where is your 12 gauge? (laughs) We'll get to it. Oh, good. We'll get to it. Yes. Yet here they were, women and children, hysterical, and one man with a pulse of over 140 beats per minute. Damn. Measured by an investigator. He further stated that the people were frightened beyond reason. Thus, he determined this incident was beyond their comprehension. Yeah. Watch, it was just a bunch of teenagers being assholes. Oh, man. Can you imagine? (laughs) Yes. I can imagine teenagers. There would be some vendettas in my life. (laughs) According to accounts given to the police, at about 7 p.m. on Sunday evening, Sutton family friend Billy Ray Taylor was fetching water from the backyard well when he saw a silvery object, real bright, with an exhaust and all the colors of the rainbow, he later recounted. It came silently towards the house, passed over it, stopped in the air, and then dropped straight to the ground. Holy. That... Well, especially, like, it's the 50s. Yeah, they didn't have drones. No, they didn't. (laughs) This was, this would have been so, pardon the pun, but alien to them. Yeah. (sighs) Right? Billy Ray Taylor, 21, and his 18-year-old wife had come from Pennsylvania to visit Lucky Sutton, with whom he had worked on a traveling carnival. Uh, You know, with Lucky, that doesn't surprise me. Right. I thought Lucky worked at a carnival. <laughs> yeah. The Sutton's 50-year-old widow and matriarch, Glennie Lankford, her two older sons and their wives, a brother-in-law, and the widow's three younger children. All lived in the three-room house? They were all there. Oh, okay. Okay, makes sense. It never actually said who lived in the house. Okay. Yeah. Um, her younger children were 12, 10, and 7. Did not take Billy Ray seriously, laughing at his UFO account. <laughs> Which, again, if you came in from the backyard and you're like, yo, I just seen a UFO, and then I look out the window and I see nothing, I'm like, girl, you had too much to drink, friend. <laughs> I have seen a UFO once. But just, like, a really bright in the sky, and it was gone moments later. That's interesting. It was. It was too loud. <laughs> <laughs> You've never told me that. No. I don't tell a lot of people that, except for everybody that listens now. (laughs) (laughs) I just told everybody. It's out there forever. So an hour later, alerted by the dogs barking, Lucky and Billy Ray went to the back door and made out a strange glow. They spotted a small humanoid creature, about three and a half feet tall, and it had an oversized head, perfectly round, arms that extended almost to the ground, and its hands had talons with overly large eyes that glowed yellow. Ooh. Its body emitted a shimmer in the light of the moon, they said, as if it was made of metal. Wow. Oh, I don't like that. No. Not a fan. No. I'm not, why do you need talons? Why do your hands need to drag on the ground? You're only three feet tall. Like, how much arm do you need? Apparently two and a half. <laughs> much arm for that size terrified the two men grabbed a 20 gauge shotgun and a 22 rifle and fired at the little man what's a 22 rifle gonna do well either way they took the 22 rifle and fired at the little man and its hands now raised as if held up at gunpoint 
as it came towards the back door. What? They reported that it did a flip, scrambled. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It did a flip. <laughs> it did a flip, friend. Its hands were raised. And then it just fucking did a backflip. Yeah. Oh my god. Scrambled upright and fled into the darkness. It fucking jumped into the air and disappeared, man. It was like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> it backflipped the fuck out. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. <laughs> well, especially with his two foot long. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> so shortly after, the men saw a similar creature appear in the side window. And fired through the window screen. Still unaffected to bullets, the little man again flipped and disappeared. That's like its Power Ranger move. He's just like, <laughs> get the fuck out. Yeah. I went out in the hallway and crouched down next to Billy when I saw one approaching the door, Miss Langford told Isabel Davis, author of an extensive report called Close Encounters at Kelly and others of 1955. It looked like a gas can with a head on top and small legs. It was shimmering, bright metal-like on my refrigerator, she claimed. Wow. That is such a bizarre description. Like, I've never... Country folk. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I would never think of metal as my fridge and... A square body is a gas can. Okay, but to be fair, we're also city folk living in the 21st century. Touche. Right. Like, I don't know. That, I'm just really, like, it sounds very boxy almost, I would say. It doesn't sound like a biological creature. It sounds more... Like a robot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Doing flips. (laughs) But robots wouldn't do backflips and quickly fuck off. Maybe it's like a ninja robot. Maybe. Ninja robot alien. I'm here for it. Latest band near you. So if somebody's like created that, can you please let us know? (laughs) Yes. Because I would like to play with that robot. Well, yes. Or like if you want to design some artwork for us, I would love to see some The backflipping (laughs) robot. So things escalated when Taylor stepped outside. This was... um, Billy Ray Taylor mm-hmm. stepped outside under the small overhanging roof. So the way that I'm seeing this is like, do you remember the duplex, how it had that overhang on the front porch? Yeah, yeah. But it just didn't have the front porch. It just had like the overhang. Well, it kind of had a porch. Just... No, like this place. Oh, okay. So no porch, just an overhang. I yes. see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the small overhanging roof. Ah. <laughs> and those behind him saw a claw-like hand reached down and touched his hair. The group screamed and pulled Taylor back while Lucky shot above the overhang and then at another similar creature in the nearby trees. So it's got claw hands. Like, so, uh, okay, you say that and now I'm picturing, like, lobster claws. No, think fingers with talons. talons. I preferred lobster claws. (laughs) No, no, they're talons. I hate this so much. I love it and I hate it. I know. I wish it was just. Can you imagine, like, oh god, nope, that sounds awful. <laughs> Especially from the overhang, just like the, I'm just. Yep, just the talons. Not a fan. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> oh. It floated to the ground and then scurried into the woods. It was. It used up all of its flipping powers. Well, no, so he shot above the one at the overhang. Yeah. And then he shot at another one in a tree nearby. Okay, so the one on the tree floated down. Yes. Okay, so there are multiple. Yes. Okay. But we'll get there. Okay. The Suttons moved inside and spent several hours listening for movement, hearing mostly scratches on the roof. I bet with all them claws. Right? (laughs) Like, I'm just thinking when, like, the dog's nails get too long on the hardwood floors i was just thinking that (sighs) the men went through many boxes of ammunition the children were hiding under the beds and the men repeatedly fired through the windows at the faces that kept popping up in a fun house kind of way i was just picturing that i'm so glad you said it the families estimated that some 12 to 15 creatures were involved holy when a bullet would strike one, it sounded like shooting a tin can. 
See, there it is again. This, uh, I don't think they're aliens. They're well, they could be alien robots, but. Well, yeah, they want to see how crazy we are, so maybe they just send in like little drones Ooh. just to see what we would do. Yep. And they try to make it some like these drones something that the people at that time could relate to. So they're like, okay, we'll take a gas can or a gasket and make it look like their fridge. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to spook them too much. <laughs> Give it cause. <laughs> Or, you know, maybe they wanted to see what we do if, like, we're scared enough. Okay, but uh, to be fair, you wouldn't need 12 to 14 to be scared. I think one would do enough damage. I don't think one would, honestly. I think about five would. Really? Well, you gotta think, like, they're country guys. I'm sure there isn't a whole hell of a lot that scares them. One, two, three. I mean, the guy getting his hand... Yeah, but you gotta think, there was, like, four men there. That's true. Do you think if there was only, like, a few of them, they wouldn't have just went out and rocked their shit? Well, if the bullets weren't doing anything to them, like, you said that it was, like, just bouncing off. Bouncing off, yeah. So, like, what are they gonna do? Even if it was just a couple. Net it. You know, that's true. They could have... The claws. Again, it all comes back to the claws. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. You just, you can't get over the claws, hey? Nope, not a fan. I like it. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> oh no. The children were hidden under the beds and, oh, yeah. I already went there. Yeah. It was only when Miss Langford tried to calm down the situation that things settled down. She asserted that the creatures had not tried to harm anyone. That is true. And suggested that they drive to the police station. And so they did. At 11 p.m., the whole group ran for their cars and hightailed it to the Hopkinsville police station at top speed. Yes. Notably, at 11 p.m. the same evening, a state trooper near Kelly reported what he deemed to be unusual objects flying in the air. He described them as meteor-like and heard sounds that reminded him of artillery fire at the same time. The family chose to flee the farm and report to the police station. Oh. So maybe that was the creatures fleeing. Oh, or fleeing? Yeah. I don't think fleeing, but oh. Well, oh. After the local police chief called for backup, his team connected at the Sutton Farm by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell, and a photographer from the Kentucky New Era newspaper. The police found obvious evidence that something had been going on. There were signs of struggles, and officers actually saw strange lights and heard unexplained sounds themselves. Oh. They did not find proof of heavy drinking. According to the Sutton Matriarch, liquor was not allowed in the farmhouse. Well, Kentucky in the 50s. I'm just saying. Like, I'm pretty sure that's a dry, it was a dry state for a long time so th- that's probably a big value still okay okay Look i think you go. don't quote me i i just made that up <laughs> you know what that's that's a good one to pull out of your ass because i didn't even have an answer for it besides uh, matriarch didn't like drinking well i mean probably that too but like those values probably were part of that yes the police remained for about two and a half hours And what transpired during that time varies, depending on which account you read. Mm -hmm. Most state that spent ammunition was scattered everywhere, and that the house's windows were extensively damaged by gunfire. I don't doubt it. (laughs) Oh, if I was a matriarch and I owned that house, I'd be so fucking pissed. Oh my god. I would Yeah, I bet you'd be pissed with window damage. (laughs) (laughs) Touché. I was just thinking bullet holes in my house. That is very true. Like, I already don't have running water, you know? I could have four walls. At least you don't have to worry about pipes bursting. Touche. Look at you go. Although I'm sure that they were aiming at the roof, so there will be leaks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there will be. (laughs) No sign of the creatures were ever found, but one account states that some luminous green glow was discovered near a fence and was gone by the next day. Now, my skepticness, this description was consistent with that of Foxfire, the folk name for bioluminescent fungus on decaying wood. 
Okay. I don't feel like decaying wood doesn't do backflips, though. Are you sure? I mean, t- the wood that I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fungus or not. Fungus or not. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Once the police and others left, the creatures returned. <gasps> of course they did. Between 2.30 a.m. and daybreak, Miss Langford said she saw one glowing by her bedside window. It's claw-like hand on the screen. Clicky-clacking. Oh, my God. It's very interesting that they haven't come inside the house yet. It is. I just, like, if this was, like, a typical alien abduction, per se, like, there would be either them coming in the house or getting people out of the house. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. Either way, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. That's why I think they sent drones down just to see what we were holding on to. They're like, okay, if we show up, what's coming our way? Then they were more prepared for our guns and ammunition and robots. Maybe, yeah. I think you're onto something here. The day after the incident, police investigators returned to the farmhouse searching for evidence of a saucer landing, footprints, blood trails, scratch marks on the roof, and they found nothing. You but, can't tell me those claws didn't leave scratch marks. <laughs> right? But could you see the scratch marks through the bullet holes? Mm. I don't know. Bud Ledwith, a local radio station employee, interviewed the adult eyewitnesses and made drawings based on their accounts. Yes. They yes. will be on Instagram. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. You just made my day. According to Davis, he was impressed by the remarkable specificity (laughs) and consistency even though the men were away from the farmhouse all day and unable to coordinate with each other okay which is also something that's super interesting because they all had the exact same story yeah well i mean there's sorry exactly how many people there was four men the woman and the children right um and then the spouses I think it was eight people. Okay, that sounds about right. Eight plus three, I believe. Okay, so 11 people. Yeah. And if all 11 people are saying the same story, they're consistent across the board. I know. While the incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force UFO Investigation Program Project Blue Book... Documents suggested that its team never officially pursued the matter beyond checking with their Fort Campbell counterparts, who had briefly been at the scene the first night. Aw, man. Yeah. The police also interviewed other nearby farms, all reporting strange lights, unknown spooky sounds, and gunfire. The gunfire was described as coming from the Sutton farm. Mm -hmm. The combination of stories by other farmers only proved to further collaborate with the initial family's concerns. A strange greenish glow found around the areas where the aliens were thought to be wounded was evaluated and labeled as could not be determined. If it was that bioluminescent moss, it would have came back as organic. True, true, true. Afterwards, UFO researcher Alan Hendry wrote of the distinctive evidence and multitude of witnesses in the case. There was no evidence of a hoax found and the unusual number of witnesses adds to the credibility of the aliens. 100%. One of the most thorough investigations of the Kelly incident was undertaken in 1956 by UFOologist Isabel Davis. Oh man, don't you want to be a UFOologist? Kinda. I still really want to be a stalker, um... Oh, a stalker expert? Yeah. That's my dream goals. <laughs> but UFOologist would be pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. And it was published several dec- decades later by the Center for UFO Studies. Her 200-page report, co-written with Ted Blocher, includes detailed maps, drawings, documentary records, summaries of similar accounts around the world, and interviews with several Sutton family members and police investigators. 
She did her research. Mm-hmm. Davis summarized the concern about the lack of physical evidence, but to her knowledge, none of the possible explanations, i.e. a deliberate hoax, publicity play, or a group hallucination, made sense. While questions arose about whether the young men were exaggerating, possibly fueled by liquor, Davis's strong impression after meeting Miss Langford was one of a no-nonsense matriarch. Mm, I got that impression too. Who despised the limelight and had no reason to lie. You know what? I would love for someone to meet me and be like, That's a no-nonsense authoritarian woman right there. Right? (laughs) Like, brief time we talk. Yeah. She's a scary woman, is what this lady is telling us. I'm with her. I would love to be that lady. (laughs) None of the witnesses had any history of making preposterous allegations. The family was also deemed both sane and competent, with no desire for media attention, nor interest in exploiting the incident for publicity and notoriety. The United States Air Force classified the alleged incidents as a hoax in the Project Blue Books file. What? Remember, this is the um, project where they were supposed to come and investigate and just took notes from the Air Force and... Just kind of, that was the extent of the investigation. Yeah. Well, on paper anyways. Yes. Yeah, can't forget that. (laughs) Psychologists have also used the alleged incidents as an academic example of pseudoscience to help students distinguish truth or fiction. I don't like that. Well, how do we know they're lying? Well, that's just it. I feel like you need to actually have a basis of knowing that somebody's actually lying to be able to be like, these are your lying cues. Is that, well, that or, like, I mean, even, um... What are, what are those lie detectors? They mm-hmm. can be false. You know what I mean? So even if somebody has, like, 11 people are saying the exact same story. There's, they drove to the police station in a fear. Yeah. Like, they were trying to deal with the, themselves until their matriarch was like, I'm tired of the bullet holes in my wall, ceiling, like, everywhere. Yeah. Do we also find it interesting that none of the neighbors came? Right? I would be pissed if nobody was coming after, like, that much gunshots or after that amount of time. Right? That's And concerning. if she's a no-nonsense matriarch, obviously she didn't have kids shooting up her house every weekend. I would have hoped not. So, yeah. Like, where the fuck were the neighbors? Mm-hmm. Or were these sounds so, like, mm, I'm not getting involved? Well, yeah, because everybody heard the sounds, they saw the lights, and they're like, "Mm, seems like that's their problem. I have no comment. (laughs) That's not my farm. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, though. If I also heard that much gunfire, I don't know if I would go running into it. I mean, fair, but like, I might, you know, drive, just do a quick drive by and be like, hmm, that's that's a lot of claws. (laughs) This is true. So... Descendants of the original occupants are usually hesitant to speak about it, but those who have state that it was very real to their relatives. Relatives of the residents describe the look of fear and tremor in their voices when the incident is brought up. Hopkinsville, though, actually celebrates the invasion the third week in August as the Little Green Men Days. Wow, so nobody takes them seriously, but we're going to celebrate this. And we're going to profit off of it. Nice. Right. Capitalism. <laughs> so my references were only in your state.com, Wikipedia, all that's interesting.com and history.com. That was so good. I'm so glad you covered that. That was fascinating. Thank you. It was It was really cool. There was so many images and so cool. I cannot wait to see the the aliens yes it's a thing of nightmares honestly <laughs> i'm so excited like if i seen that shit walking up my driveway i would just burn the whole house down if you felt it on your hair yeah no thanks <laughs> aren't you glad your house doesn't have an overhang now it does not like oh yeah it does 
Well, thank you so much for listening to my case. Thank you for telling it. I'm, I really enjoy cases where we pick the topic for each other. <laughs> right? <laughs> Makes it so fun. It does. Well, I think because we normally wouldn't pick that ourselves. So it's, we get to try something like a little different. So like I said, if, if you want to hear something specific, let us know. For sure. It's, it's super fun getting out of your comfort zone and learning something that like, you don't fully know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Well, you'll have to tune in next Tuesday as we cover... V. We're on you. UV. Yeah, T-U-V. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, I had... <laughs> we don't do math here. Episode or... 22. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to See Is For Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy. Or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast. Or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.